Briefly, I don't know if you guys are like me. Usually I will take notes with a message, and sometimes I get frustrated when I miss something that's on one of the slides, and I don't get it down. So I actually printed out some copies of the slides. I've got, got a couple of them laying down there, and if you, if you, you know, and some of you may not take notes, that's fine, but if you get frustrated because you missed a note, you feel free. Come down here. You can grab them. There's, I've got two extra copies here. There's this service. I've got one I'm saving for the next service, so if you want to take them, you can take them. But uh, we're continuing our Easter series this morning. Darren started that last week. I think over the last, I think this is the seventh year of like for the last six years in the summer, been going through the book of Luke. And this year to wrap things up, Darren started last week at Luke, at Luke 23. But for our Easter series, we're going through the book of Luke. So if you got a Bible, follow along. If not, we've got the Uh, got the verses on the overhead. Our passage this morning is Luke chapter 23, verses 13 through 25. So why don't you follow along with me as I read that. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Now he was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. But they cried out altogether, saying, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas. He was one who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again, but they kept on calling out, saying, Crucify! Crucify him! And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. But they were insistent, with loud voices asking that he be crucified, and their voices began to prevail. And Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted. And he released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you. You are an awesome God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the word you were in the beginning. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word. This morning, Lord, I pray that we would recognize that it's not about us, that it's about you. May your kingdom come, may your will be done in our lives, in our church, in this city, and in the world. Lord, give us our daily bread from your word. Speak to us today. Give us ears to hear what you want to say to each and every one of us. Lord, we pray that you would lead us today, that you'd lead us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been pressured into making a decision that you knew was wrong? Most of us have had that experience. What would you think of a judge whose job is to make just and right decisions, but who let an angry mob pressure him into making an unjust judgment? As we continue our series in the book of Luke today, we'll see how the highest Roman official in Judea in Jesus' day was pressured 
into making the most important decision he would ever make and doing what he knew was wrong. I'm going to start with a little background and some context. Last week, the first part of Luke chapter 23, Jesus was brought before Pilate on the grounds that he was leading a revolt against Rome. The Jewish leaders wanted Jesus put to death for claiming to be the Son of God, which in their eyes was blasphemy, was taking God's name in vain. But they needed the Roman governor to put him to death. And the Roman governor wouldn't have been concerned with a charge of blasphemy concerning the Jewish God. So they said he's leading a revolt against Rome. Pilate found no grounds for their charges that Jesus was leading a revolt. But when he heard that Jesus was a Galilean, he sent him to Herod. Like many political leaders, he tried to pass the buck and avoid making the decision, shifting that responsibility to the Galilean ruler. Now, the name Herod can be confusing since there were several men with the name Herod during Jesus' life. This was Herod Antipas. He was one of the sons of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the king when Jesus was born. He was the one who had the baby boys in Bethlehem killed. When Herod the Great died, his kingdom was split into four parts. And Herod Antipas, his son, ruled over Galilee and Perea. Now, we could switch to, I've got a map here uh, on the overheads. Yep, there we go. So Herod Antipas ruled in Galilee, which is kind of the darker pink up toward the top. And also Perea, which was on the east side or to the right of the Jordan River there. But at this point in time, even though he normally didn't live in Jerusalem, it was Passover. Most of the Jews came to Jerusalem for the Passover. So he was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem would be kind of in the middle of the gold area there, kind of a, just to the, to the left of the north end of the Dead Sea on the bottom there. Also in Jerusalem at that time, Pilate was in Jerusalem at that time as well. Pilate usually made his home in Caesarea, which was on the Mediterranean sea coast, kind of toward the, to, toward the top end of the green area of Samaria there. Interestingly, when they were in Jerusalem, they both stayed in Herod's temple. Herod's temple was made by Herod the Great. So Pilate and Herod Antipas were staying in Herod's palace. And that was why it was easy when when uh, Pilate said, well, okay, send them to Herod Antipas, they were in the same palace or in the same building. It would have been easy to go from one to the other. Herod was hoping to see Jesus perform a miracle, but Jesus wouldn't answer him. So Herod mocked Jesus by dressing him up in a robe like a king. He sent him back to Pilate. Pilate couldn't pass the buck. So that's where we pick up the passage this morning. Now, as we look at the passage this morning, we're going to focus on three key characters in what I've called a courtroom drama. Pilate, Jesus, and Barabbas. That's the title of the message, Pilate, Jesus, and Barabbas. First, we'll look at Pilate. Who was Pilate? Darren noted last week that he was the fifth Roman governor of Judea. He was appointed by the emperor, by Tiberius Caesar. He served from A.D. 26 to A.D. 36. So this would be about A.D. 33. Ancient Jewish and Roman historians like Philo of Alexandria, Josephus, Tacitus spoke of him. Darren mentioned that last week. But there was a time when skeptics and critics of the Bible 
questioned Pilate's existence because they found no archaeological evidence that Pilate had ever existed. That changed with the finding of the Pilate Stone near Caesarea in 1961. It had an inscription mentioning the name Pontius Pilate. So if you go to the, yep, there we go. That's actually the Pilate Stone. I actually took that picture in 2015. We were in Israel, we were in Caesarea. Now, I actually should say it's not actually the Pilate Stone. It is a replica. The, the Pilate Stone was moved to the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, but that's a replica made of the Pilate Stone that's in Caesarea. Now, what were Pilate's responsibilities as the Roman governor over Judea? He served as the commander-in-chief of the Roman army, just like our president is the commander-in-chief of our forces. He also oversaw the collection of the taxes for Rome. Rome was, was ruling the area. They taxed the people. And finally, he judged cases of concern to Rome. So that's the responsibility he's fulfilling when Jesus was brought to him. He's judging. Another interesting part of Pilate's backstory that I discovered as I prepared for the message had to do with incidents that Pilate had with the Jewish people prior to Jesus being brought to him. There were several incidents, and I think they help us better understand what happened when Jesus was brought to Pilate. First, when Pilate was appointed governor, he offended the Jews by moving imperial standards with the image of Caesar into Jerusalem. Now, the Jewish people thought that image, that was an idol. And one of the things they had learned, God had taught them over the years, the Ten Commandments, you shall not you know, make for yourself a graven image. So the Jewish people re re rebelled, revolted against this. They surrounded Pilate's house in Caesarea for five days. And finally, Pilate summoned them to the amphitheater. Now, actually, we saw this amphitheater. If you go to the next slide, I think we've got that. That, this is actually the amphitheater in Caesarea. It's a beautiful place. It's been reconstructed. So, I mean, that's not, that's not the original amphitheater, but it's been reconstructed to look like apparently what it was in those days. Beautiful spot overlooking the Mediterranean Sea. You can see there, but Pilate had the Jews who were protesting, who had been surrounding him, his house. He had them come to the amphitheater, but he had Roman soldiers surround the amphitheater. And he basically told them, he said, go home or we're going to kill you. The Jewish people would not back, the Jewish men would not back down. Basically, they said, go ahead, cut off our heads. And Pilate realized if he did that, that would cause problems with, you know, to massacre defenseless people. It's going to cause problems with the rest of the Jewish population. And it's also going to cause severe ramifications when he reports on that to Caesar. So Pilate backed off and he let, he let him go, but he was essentially humiliated by the Jewish people. Another time, Pilate had decided, he'd been in Jerusalem, he thought the water supply wasn't adequate, so he decided to use money from the temple treasury in Jerusalem to build an aqueduct coming into Jerusalem. But a mob formed to protest that when Pilate was visiting Jerusalem. He ordered his troops to beat him with clubs. A number died from the blows or from being trampled by the horses. The mob was dispersed. Darren mentioned another incident last week where Pilate offended the Jews by bringing golden shields with images on them to Herod's palace in Jerusalem. As I said, Herod's palace was built by Herod the Great. The sons of Herod the Great petitioned Pilate to remove the shields. He refused. So Herod's sons actually sent 
messengers to the emperor in Rome and the emperor in Rome, Tiberius, received that petition and he angrily reprimanded Pilate and ordered him to have those shields removed immediately. So you can see Pilate was kind of on shaky grounds in, as the governor of Judea. In fact, Luke 13, 1, the Bible mentions one other incident with Pilate and the Jewish people. Luke 13, 1 just says this, now on, some, on the same occasion there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Don't know much more about that, but again, this is an incident between Pilate and the Jews. It was Pilate's responsibility to keep the Pax Romana, you may remember that from history class, or the Roman peace. Rome promised you'll have peace as long as you obey our rules. So Pilate had to keep the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, and report to Caesar, but all of these incidents made him look bad as a governor in the eyes of Tiberius Caesar the emperor. So when Herod Antipas sent Jesus back, Pilate, as we said, he's already on thin ice in his relationship both with the emperor and with the Jewish people. Made me think of this. And really, kind of in reality, he had gambled several times trying to exert his will over the Jewish people, and he had lost. There's an old song by Kenny Rogers, The Gambler. Pilate did not know when to hold him and when to fold him in his dealings with the Jewish people, and it cost him. And he eventually was removed when he left office in 36 AD. He was asked to step down. He was removed as governor just a few years after Jesus' death. So that kind of shows you what the grounds were even coming to Jesus' trial. If we pick up the passage then, our passage this morning, starting in verse 13, Again, it reads, Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion and behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. Pilate clearly understands the charge against Jesus as being one who incites the people to rebellion, but he also gives the verdict as not guilty. He says, I found no guilt in this man regarding the charges you make against him. Goes on, he goes on in verse 15, he says, no, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. So in verse 15, he says, Herod sent him back. Herod agreed with Pilate, even though Herod mocked Jesus. He said, Jesus has done nothing deserving death. So both Pilate and Herod had given a not guilty verdict. Now, the words in verse 16 may seem confusing to us as Americans. Why did Pilate say, therefore I will punish him and release him? Why would you punish someone who is not guilty? That seems strange to us, but it was not that strange at that point in time. The Romans, if somebody was brought to them, they would punish or discipline someone by whipping or flogging them just to, quote, teach them a lesson. Even if they were not guilty, it's just like, well, if you've ever had any thoughts about possibly rebelling or revolting against us, you know, we're just going to give you, we're going to punish you a little bit just so you know this is what's going to happen to you if you really, really do this. So, So Pilate thinks, yeah, he finds him not guilty, but he says, I'm going to punish him, going to release him. That was common at that time. So we've looked at the first character in this courtroom drama, Pilate, and we're starting to see Jesus introduced. So let's look at Jesus just a little bit more closely. 
We looked at who Pilate was. Let's look at who Jesus is. First of all, Jesus is the Son of God. When Jesus appeared before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish uh, leaders, at the end of Luke chapter 22, he was asked if he was the Christ, meaning the Messiah, the anointed one that they were waiting for. He referred to himself as the Son of Man at the end of Luke 22. And the Jews correctly understood that by calling himself the Son of Man, he was claiming to be the Son of God. Luke 22, verse 70, it says, And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he, Jesus, said to them, Yes, I am. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. That's why the Jewish leaders were angry. They didn't think that he truly was the Son of God. So first of all, Jesus is the Son of God. Secondly, Jesus is the King of the Jews. In the passage last week in Luke 23, 3, it said, Pilate asked him saying, are you the king of the Jews? And he, Jesus, answered him and said, it is as you say. Jesus is the son of God. He's the king of the Jews. A third point that we need to realize about Jesus is that he was not guilty. We've already said that very clearly. Both Pilate and Herod said, he was not guilty. But not only was he not guilty of the charges against him, he was not guilty of anything. He was sinless. We will see that here. So in Luke 23, 4, Pilate, as he examined him, he returned him to the chief priest, he said, and the crowds, he says, I find no guilt in this man. But not, as I said, not only was he not guilty of the charges against him, Jesus was not guilty of anything, of any crime at all. Peter, one of his closest disciples who followed him, who was with him almost 24 hours a day, seven days a week for three years, in one of the letters written by Peter, Peter said, referring to Jesus, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, he says, who committed no sin? Jesus never committed a sin. I've, I always find this amazing. Those who are closest to me, who spend the most time with me, I got my wife up here, my children up here, and if you ask them, is Bruce sinless? They would just laugh at you. I mean, you know, we've all sinned, but one of the closest followers of Jesus said he committed no sin. So the third point, Jesus, Jesus well, three points. Jesus was the son of God, he was the king of the Jews, and he was not guilty, or he was sinless. So that's who Jesus was. Going back to the passage, Verse 16, again, Pilate says another time, he says, therefore I will punish him and release him. And verse 17 says, now he was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. I'm using the New American Standard today. It was what I, kind of what I've usually used over the years to study. In the New American Standard here, this verse 17 is in, in brackets. The reason it's in brackets is because it's not found in many of the earliest Jewish manuscripts. In fact, if you're using, I think our, the, the handout for this probably uses the CSB. In the CSB, you won't even find the verse. You'll find it listed with a footnote. But whether or not Luke actually had this verse in his manuscripts, it happened. All three other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and John, all mention this, all cite this. In fact, in John chapter 18, verse 39, John says this. This is Pilate talking there. And John says, Pilate said, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So Pilate's asking the Jewish people. He's already said, he's not guilty. I'm going to punish him. I'm going to release him. 
But they had this custom, so he brought this custom up. And I think Pilate was surprised by the Jewish people's response. I'd say, once again, he gambled and he loses in his relationship with the Jewish people. Because if you go on to verse 18, it says, but they cried out together saying, away with this man and release for us Barabbas. That brings us to the third character in our courtroom drama. And this one, he wasn't even in the courtroom at the time. The, Bar- the man, a man who's in a di- identified for us as Barabbas. So who was Barabbas? Verse 19 answers that question. In verse 19, it says, he was one who'd been thrown into prison for an insurrection or rebellion made in the city and for murder. So who was Barabbas? Again, three points for Barabbas. Barabbas was a a rebel. He had rebelled against the Roman government. He had committed insurrection. Not only was he a rebel, the passage says he was a murderer. He apparently had killed someone probably in this rebellion. And a third point about him is he's guilty. There's no question. He has, he has been charged. He's been, yeah. But Pilate throws this out. Who do you want me to, us to release? And, and uh, the people said, release for us Barabbas. Now, Matthew even refers to Barabbas as a notorious prisoner. John describes him as a robber. Some speculate that the two thieves who were killed on the cross on each side of Jesus, that they were followers of Barabbas, that Barabbas was supposed to be killed that day on the cross as well. Now, it's an interesting possibility. Might be true, but we don't know that for certain. But it's certain that Barabbas was guilty as a rebel. And, a, and as a murderer. And interestingly, Barabbas is guilty of the very same thing that the Jewish leaders accused Jesus of doing, of leading a rebellion against Rome. It shows that the Jewish leaders were not concerned at all about somebody leading a re- revolt against Rome. All they were concerned with was getting Jesus put away with, getting Jesus killed. Now, another interesting observation about Barabbas is his name and its meaning. Jewish men had names that identified them with their fathers. You may remember that Simon at times was called Simon Barjona. You can find that in Matthew 16, 17. Barjona, Bar just means son. So Barjona means son of Jonah, just like we have our people's last names of Johnson or Peterson many, many years ago. You know, when it started, the family name started, they were the son of a person. So Barabbas, Bar means son. So Barabbas means son of Abba. Abba is the Aramaic for father or for daddy. So Barabbas just means son of Abba or son of daddy. He could have been anybody's son. He's never, introdu- he's never identified by his first name. So Barabbas really could have been anybody. And I want to introduce a key point here. We are just like Barabbas. Say that again. We're just like Barabbas. Now, some of you may say, I object, Bruce. That, that, you know, come on, you just said this guy was a murderer. You know, he, he's led a revolt. I've never led a revolt against, you know, the U.S. government. I've never physically murdered anybody. So you're saying we're just like Barabbas. Now, just to 
keep you in suspense for a little bit. I want you to just meditate on that for a little bit. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. We're going to continue in the passage, but I promise we will come back to it, okay? So returning to the passage in verse 20, it says, Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again, but they kept on calling out saying, crucify, crucify him. Pilate can't even get a word in here. It says he addressed them again, but he can't. They keep calling out, crucify him. He appears to be caught off guard by their response of wanting to have Barabbas released. Can you imagine being in his position? He thinks he's doing the right thing by releasing Jesus, but the crowd just keeps crying out, crucify him. He's already on thin ice, as we've noted, as governor here, and it appears like another riot is ready to break out. In spite of this, he tries one more time As we read in verse 22, it says, And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has this man done? I found in him no guilt demanding death. But they were insistent and with loud voices asking that he be crucified, and their voices began to prevail. Luke notes that this is the third time that that Pilate says, I found no evil, no guilt in this man. If you look back in your Bible, you'll see he said that in verse 4. He said it in verse 14 as well. Now, when my kids were little, still in the house, if I told my kids something three times, I wanted to be very sure that they were clear about what I was saying to them. Pilate's being very, very clear that Jesus isn't guilty. He couldn't have been clearer. And again, he says, I'm going to punish him. As we said, that was custom and release him. But the mob will have nothing to do with that. They insist with loud voices that Jesus be crucified. Their voices went out as we see, as we close the passage, it says in verse 24, and Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted. And he released the man they were asking for who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. That'd be Barabbas. And he delivered Jesus to their will. Pilate pronounced sentence that Jesus be crucified and he released Barabbas, one who was guilty of the very crime of rebellion the Jewish leaders had accused Jesus of. The trial, the courtroom drama with these three primary characters, Pilate, Jesus, and Barabbas was over. The highest Roman official in Judea in Jesus' day was pressured into making the most important decision he would ever make and doing what he knew was wrong when he sentenced Jesus to be crucified. So what can we learn from this passage? How can we put it into practice? How can we apply it in our lives? First point of application that I put was this. We need to acknowledge that we are just like Barabbas. I made that key point earlier. We're just like Barabbas. I said I'd come back to it, so... We're back to it now. So how are we like Barabbas? First of all, we're like Barabbas in that we're rebels. Now, we may not have rebelled against the government that's ruling over us like Barabbas had, but we have rebelled against God's rule over our lives. Isaiah 53, 6 states, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We've all wanted to do things our own way. We've all wanted to go our own way. In fact, popular song by Frank Sinatra many, many years ago. I assume most of you probably know this or have heard this song. I did it my way. 
Why was that song so popular? Because we can all down deep identify with, yeah, we really want to do things our way. Frank Sinatra didn't sing, I did it God's way. That would have never been a hit. He said, I did it my way. And we're all like that. We want to do things. We're all guilty deep down inside. We want to do things our way. We're all rebels against God. So not only are we rebels, like Barabbas, we're guilty. Barabbas was guilty of rebellion and murder. We too, as we just said, we're guilty of the sin of rebellion against God. And though we may not have physically committed the act of murder, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, in verses 21 and 22, he said, you've heard it said, you know, that if you murder someone, you're guilty. But he said, I say to you, you know, if you have called, if you've been angry with someone, if you've called him a fool, you're guilty. Now, how many of you have never been angry at someone now, you know, driving on down the road, somebody pulls over, cuts you off. Have you ever called call them an idiot or a fool or whatever? We've all been angry at someone. God's standards are so much higher than our standards. That's what Jesus was trying to say. Yes, definitely. Even if we've not committed the act of murder, we've all been guilty of murdering people in our hearts. We're guilty, just like Barabbas was guilty. Romans 3.23 says very clearly, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So like Barabbas, we're rebels, like Barabbas, we're guilty. But also like Barabbas, Jesus took the punishment we deserved. Jesus took the punishment that Barabbas deserved. Barabbas deserved to die on the cross. Jesus didn't. But he also took the punishment we deserved when he went to the cross. As Isaiah 53, 5 says, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Jesus took the punishment we deserved. Finally, like Barabbas, we're like Barabbas in that we have been set free. If we believed in Jesus, we have been set free from the penalty we deserve for our sins. Barabbas was allowed to go free. He was set free. We've been set free from the penalty for our sins if we believe, put our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, verse 36, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So not only should we acknowledge that we're like Barabbas, A second way we can apply what we've heard today is to make the right decision about Jesus. What do I mean by that? Though Pilate said three times Jesus was not guilty, he was pressured into making the wrong decision about Jesus in the most important decision he ever had to make in his life. We all have a decision to make about Jesus, just like Pilate. Like Pilate, it's the most important decision we'll ever make in our lives. We may not be aware of that. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, when he said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? We all have to make a decision about Jesus. Today, some people think that Jesus was just a legend, that he didn't really exist. Some people, like the Muslims, think that he was a prophet. Many people will acknowledge him as a good teacher. But Jesus asks, Who do you say that I am? 
the decision we need to make about Jesus was stated well by C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. Many refer to this as the liar, lunatic, or Lord trilemma. C.S. Lewis said this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. And I'll just insert in here, how would, be the de- how would he be the devil of hell? The devil's a liar. So that's the liar part. Lewis concludes with this. He says, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Have you decided who Jesus is? Have you realized that he's Lord of all and he rightly deserves to be Lord of your life? If you've never trusted Jesus and acknowledged him as Lord, why not make today the day that you acknowledge you're guilty, just like you're guilty as a rebel like Barabbas, that Jesus took your place and took the punishment that you deserved when he went to the cross. Make the right decision about Jesus and acknowledge him as Lord of all and Lord of your life. For all eternity, you'll be glad you made the right decision about Jesus. Finally, a third way we can apply this passage is by praising Jesus for taking our place. Just as he took Barabbas' place in the punishment he deserved, he's taken our place and our punishment. He's worthy of our praise. There's an old hymn, Hallelujah, What a Savior. It reads like this. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood, hallelujah, what a savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless, we spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be, hallelujah, what a savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry, now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a savior. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring, then anew this song will sing, hallelujah, what a savior. Probably the verse that caught my attention the most in there was the one that says, in my place, condemned he stood. We can praise Jesus for taking our place. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word today, for this story about Pilate and Jesus and Barabbas. Lord, we acknowledge we're like Barabbas. We're guilty rebels. We thank you that Jesus took our place even though he was not guilty. Thank you, Lord, that the sinless Son of God has set us free from the penalty of our sins for all eternity. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who's never acknowledged you, Jesus, as Lord of their lives, I pray that they would admit they're like Barabbas, that they'd acknowledge that you took their place, that they deserve to die, and they would acknowledge you as Lord of their lives even today. We pray this in Jesus' name.